So how grateful I am to join together in the love of God as the love of God. So grateful, so thankful to consciously attune to perfect love, that high vibrational frequency that resonates as our true identity. We are grateful and thankful to join together in love for the purpose of our healing. We partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self. So grateful and so thankful to open ourselves to receive blessings of insight and to let go of false identification. Identification with the personality is falling away. We're opening ourselves to that full identification with our true self. We're grateful and thankful to bless Rosalind and all that she shares with us, knowing that we are receiving it as spirit intends us. We are grateful and thankful to allow for a healing conversation and we share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we allow our healing to be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yay. So just before we start with the Enneagrams, um, uh, I would like to uh, share something. And now for some bizarre reason, it's gone completely out of my mind. That's so funny. Well, I guess I'll come back to it later. Um, so, uh, take it away, Rosalind, and let me know when you'd like to share the, um, uh, the document. With Jess, um, let me see if I can change my, um, so I can see everybody there. Um, does anybody not know their Enneagram? I know, uh, right now we I talked to Ron and there are three that he's considering, but um, does anybody have not know their Enneagram at all? Liz? Um, um, I, I looked at the material and I feel like I'm every single bloody one of them. Okay. Did you take the test or did you just look at the one? Uh, the I one just read the material. I didn't take the that's test. Fine. No, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. So we'll talk about that. Um, and you might, uh, just to be sure that I address it, and I'll talk about it later, but um, you might consider six when you read some more because that is uh, a very strong attribute of sixes, that they see themselves in every type um, because that it's, they, they're a mental type. You know, we have thinking type, feeling types, and body types in terms of of how you perceive things most often. And sixes are the best at seeing both sides of everything. So you can understand why then they would see themselves in each type. And we are all actually all of these. Um, all, none of us has none of the others in us. We have them all in us. It's just a question of which is our most favored strategy and I, I don't know that I've made this point before, um, but the Enneagram is more about motivation. It, it shows up in behavior, but a lot of the other tests like Myers-Briggs and other personality tests talk about behaviors. 
And we do too when we're describing it. But this is about a strategy of motivation to either feel safe or uh, connected or one of the, one of the, one of the lacks that personalities feel and it's an attempt to feel, let's say, in control or in power or special, whichever it is, but it's about a motivation. And that's why sometimes we can't always tell from the outside, we're seeing a behavior, but we don't know which motivation it is. We can, I, I know that I can look like an eight. I'm not an eight, I'm a four. But if someone were to just come in and observe me in Masterful Living, I could look like an eight. And Jennifer, who's an eight, could look like a four because she's very adept at feelings and I can be very outgoing in certain circumstances. And it looks like my motivation might be to control or to not be vulnerable, but it's really about four-ish issues or... Um, for, for Jennifer, it might not, anyway, I won't get into Jennifer, but let me just stop right there. You know, I'll just mention, if I may, um, that I, I would like to ask who has been, listened to the year two Enneagram classes that were already done? All right, because that, that will help you tremendously, because uh, we covered a lot in those. And um, just some of the foundation, really, I think that's so important for us to understand why are we even talking about this? It's because the, the personality really is, um, for many of us, the personality is a, is a creature of the ego, not of the spirit. Everything serves the spirit. The ego serves the spirit because the spirit's the only thing that's real. So our whole egoic journey still serves the spirit's growth our awakening, our understanding, it's our exploration. And uh, having an awareness that, oh, this part of my personality as an eight, where I could, I could go in and start controlling things, it was so helpful to me to discover, oh, this is part of the eight personality to try to control everything. And once I really saw that was part of the eight personality, I was so, it was so much easier for me to just relax that because I saw, well, it's really no part of me. It's part of this personality that I am expressing with. However, um, like, you know, there are things that people say about Sagittarians. I'm a Sagittarian, and in Vedic astrology, I'm a Scorpio. Well, I can see those personality traits related to that astrology, but it's not my identity anymore. It's less and less my identity. So being able to see clearly, oh, this is an, a personality trait that I've chosen to work with, it, it just helps us get so much distance from identification with it. It's like, I am not this purple blouse, but I'm wearing it. But I, I, it's not, has nothing to do with who I am. It really has nothing to do with who I am. It's just something I'm wearing at the moment. And I think with the Enneagrams, it helps us to see 
this this truth about ourselves and our relationship with our personalities. I think that's why it grew out of the Sufis. You know, the Sufis are the, this wonderful spiritual um, teaching and group. Rumi was a Sufi, Hafiz was a Sufi, this great, great um, um, Sufi poets who just knew God so beautifully and ex could express it so well. They were from the Sufi community. Sufi community is a, a beautiful spiritual community. So this, this teaching came from that. The other thing I'd just like to share <clears throat> is related to what Liz shared, and Ron's not sure. When I read all those personalities, just like Rosalind was saying, I was like, oh gosh, I'm a little bit each one of them. You know, I really am. And when I read in Helen Palmer's book, um, the Enneagrams that love and work. When I read the further descriptions of the eight and the, the, the more negative sides of that eight personality, I just w literally wanted to vomit. I, for like three days, I just felt like throwing up. And that was my solar plexus, uh, my, my self-identity realizing A, I guess I'm not that special, and and B, I uh, these these aspects of my personality which are loathsome to me are obvious to other people, and that and it's not hidden at all. It's 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 written about in a book. It, there's textbook about it really, and that just all made me want to just vomit and vomit and vomit. It, literally for three days, I was just sick. Uh, I just, it was like a malaise that my ego was processing. And then I realized, oh, now that I can see this more clearly, I can address it more directly. And I was so, so grateful for that. Now, actually, one more thing I'll just share, since many of you have not listened to those year, year two classes, is that it completely transformed my relationship with my mother. Because when I realized the nature of the five personality that she was, all the things that I had taken personally my whole life for like 45 years or whatever, all of a sudden I just went, oh, it's not personal. It's not personal. And that just transformed our relationship because all the resentment just went poof. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think this is really valuable to us. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Rosalind. Yeah, I have a lot that I could say, but I wonder, Jennifer, if you think we should listen to what the questions are first so that um, I'm sure to address the questions. Or do you think... Yes, I that's a great idea. So if you have questions, um, do you want to uh, start sharing them? Raise your hand. And, okay, Ron? So the challenge that I had is on the test... Uh, the main test, I came out as an eight, but not much more, but one, three, and five were pretty close, too. But, but definitely by three or four points, I was higher as the eight. When I went through the book and did the separate test there and then read the descriptions, I just, this part of the eight, I just didn't relate to, and I didn't score that, that high on the eight uh, in the book, but I scored almost the same and very high on, on one, three, and one, three, and five. Okay. So that's why I'm a little confused. Okay. So the, the tests, you know, are only somewhat good. You know, they, yeah. it has to do with understanding 
the, from the person who's taking the test exactly what the person meant that was writing the question. So they're, they're limited. Did you do what Jennifer was suggesting? Because it's very powerful to look at the unhealthy versions of each of those. Was that in any of your books? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, so the, book, the, the book that I read was The Wisdom of the Anagram. Oh, yeah, that's a great book. So could, did you identify more clearly? Because I can go over these types, and maybe that's something we need to have a few minutes on. But um, did, did you look... Did you identify more with the unhealthy side of any of these? You know, I did this three or four weeks ago, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't really specifically recall that, that part of it. Um, well, well, I'll be sure to talk about the differences between okay. three, one, five, and eight. Yeah, but, okay. but three just overall, I think overall, both positives and the negatives seem to resonate with me from what I, what I recall. Well, let me just say at first, first about three, that threes are the best at doing. It's mm -hmm. kind of like that Nike phrase, just do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, very easy for threes to just go into action. They are on the feeling triad, which means two, three, and four. But each triad of the nines has one that doesn't look so much like that triad. And three doesn't look like the feeling, so much the feeling triad. Mm -hmm. And threes in their motivation and in their history have confused feeling, not, not feeling, excuse me, have confused doing with being. So they learned in their families to get recognition from doing. Mm -hmm. And they're very different from the other two in the feeling tri a triad, which is two and four. So they're not necessarily, they could be, but they're not necessarily so much connected to uh, feelings, but maybe so a little bit in the, the image sense of derived feelings. Oh, how do I look going down the mountain? You know, uh, do, does my ski technique look good to the people? And that's just an example. Rather than feeling one's, presence down the mountain one could be thinking how do i look how do my, how's my technique appearing does that resonate with you so far um maybe a little bit of it i know just i was i was a, a fairly good athlete growing up and i was a medium-sized fish in a pretty small pond with small schools uh so i got i've kind of developed my self-image on doing and performing and being recognized for those things mm -hmm. um I mean, I was, but I was also a very strong leadership. I mean, I was, I don't know, I was president of my class three out of four years. I mean, just so that it's, it's a combination of different oh, things. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, that's a good point. Because these words get used. Like, so some books have eight called a leader. Mm -hmm. Anybody can be a leader. You can be a three and be a leader. You yeah. can be a, an eight and be an artist. Yeah, okay. Some books call the, a four a, an artist. That's why we dropped the names. Mm -hmm. After a while, it's just to help people start to learn which type they're talking about. Okay. But absolutely, you can be a three and be a leader. Um, matter of fact, it, it, would, it would fit to be president as a doing. You know, if, if threes are the best at doing and you excel at doing, why not be president? That makes sense. 
So, um, so far you haven't said anything that's not three-ish. So if you, the, one of the ways to distinguish between a five and a three is a five is much more an observer and not as prone to action. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an action, I'm definitely an action person, although I do like to research. I mean, before I, sometimes before I'll take an action, I will, you know, I'll get on the web. This is called being smart, plus you have an arrow to six, which is a thinker, and so you would be cautious if you're healthy and think okay. about, not just compulsively do. Yeah. So we'll come back to that, but I think a really good guess for you to pursue is that freeness because you feel it so strongly. And so okay. far, everything you said is right in line. So okay, thank you. questions, let's, let's hear. Yes, Diane. Rosalyn, I had said before we started this call that I, I thought I was a six. Mm -hmm. um, and initially I thought I was a nine, but then mm -hmm. as I listened to the classes, I, I don't think that I am. But one of the things that I have read about is that the, the six, nine, three triangle has, I don't know what the what terminology is, but sort of a hand in each one of the right. healing thinking. So I was just, and, and so it's a bit more complex. If, mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true or not. Yes, it is. Yeah, if you're if you fall in a three, a six, or a nine, um, anyways, I was just wondering at some point if you could speak to that. Mm -hmm. Let me just say one sentence right now for that, and we can come back to it. It's not just complex; it's actually an advantage because uh, you have a, you have access to the thinking, the feeling, and the body, and those are the three triads. So. You, it can make it can it may seem more complex, but you you could be if you use the enneagram and use your arrows six three and nine, it can serve you to be a very very balanced person. So it's it's a beautiful thing. That's why one of the reasons I love the enneagram. There's nothing bad about it. There are no bad types. There, there are ways to use each type to its best advantage. So um, woohoo for you to be able to reach so easily all three triads. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, Deb. Um, I made a list. I. Um, when I first learned about Enneagram, I worked with the Enneagram Myers-Briggs Inner Child Counselor. And so their focus was Enneagram is our defense system and Myers-Briggs is our, like our, what they call our true personality. And so I'd like just to hear you talk a little bit more about that and then anything about ones because I didn't, hear too much about yes, ones. You're right. I wanted to make sure I talked about ones today. Um, and I, I think Holy Spirit has been teaching me something recently because um, I had a lot of personal connection in a volunteer position with a man that is absolutely clearly a one. He does not know the Enneagram. And I was, that's the reason I think I was being led was I had very, very strong 
uh, direction not to speak of the Enneagram ever to this person. And you, you can see how bubbling over with the Enneagram I am, and I often find a way to bring it up with someone if I think they could maybe benefit or I've loved it so much, but it was like, don't speak of it. So I haven't. But I, I got the opportunity by not speaking to him about it was to watch the constriction. So he's a person who is on a conscious spiritual path. He knows and is aware of Jennifer's teachings about judgment and how that affects our, our emotions, our thinking, our, um, our presence, our whole everything. He's very, very aware of that information. But what, he, what happens to him, and I got to watch him very clearly recently, is that when he's judging people, because ones have very clear shoulds in their mind, they, they don't even know that they're shoulding. It just seems like truth. It seems to be the same as spiritual principles inside the person. So when he's giving an example of how his daughter doesn't call him the way she should, even though the daughter just bought him a weekend at a golf resort with her, he has no access to that he's judging her. Now, he's probably quite unhealthy, so I'm not re suggesting that that's you, Deb, but it, it's, it's feeling like the shoulds are truth with a capital T. And so the Enneagram, if he had just known in any of these examples that I saw while I was working with him, if he could see those are just judgments, even just see that they're judgments, he could then work with them the way Jennifer teaches, but he had no access. So it's kind of like most people agree that it's not okay to murder. I mean, I don't think I have to have everybody raise your hand. Is it okay to murder? No, you would say, no, you shouldn't murder. But really you don't do it you don't murder someone because there's a should not to murder someone. The real reason you don't murder someone is you might be angry, but you don't have that inclination, but you're not working with the should, mostly, most of us, if, especially if you're not a one, you just don't do it. But ones have this thing about the rules because as children, and see if you connect with this, Deb, Usually, they got to feeling okay if they were good children. Not good children the way nines are, and Deb is shaking her head, yes. Nines were good children, but they were good by not making a lot of noise and by not disrupting the situation. Ones did things to be good. And usually, what that ended up being was to repress their own wants and needs and feelings. And Deb is shaking her head. So that's the core for me of understanding the dilemmas of a one is, is to first of all, 
really get clear on what the shoulds are that you're hearing, that they are not universal truths, that they're judgments. So then we have all of Jennifer's work to plug in once you realize you're making a judgment. Mm -hmm. But most beautifully is to see a one start to connect with their own wants. And I'm using that word consciously. And I know you're Masterful 3 students, so you're all into preferences and rather than wants. But this is psych psychological stuff. And when we're in the hypnosis of psychology or, or behaviors that we've done since childhood, it is useful since ones often don't know their wants to use that word. Because preferences you have to kind of work to put aside your wants and to understand the limitations of wanting and needing and so on. So I, I'm using that word consciously. It really is a beautiful thing to see a, a one be able to say, you know, that doesn't work for me. Or even though I know I sh should in my mind do that, it's just such a beautiful unfolding. So I've talked a lot, Deb. You have been shaking your head. Does most of that resonate with you? Okay, I want to say something else about ones. Jennifer, you want to talk? Well, I'll, I'll wait till you finish. Okay. There's something else that's come up in, in um, some Masterful 3 because it, it, it filtered down to Masterful Living 2 about having fun. And it's super important. Ones have an arrow to seven. And it's super important for ones to have fun. And there have been some messages um, which a lot of people resonated with about how difficult it is to take yourself out to the movies or to have fun. And if you are a one, and uh, Elena, you put down uh, something in Masterful Living about that. I don't know if you're a one. We haven't talked. But um, it would be a good conversation to have. It balances oneness unbelievably. I have a friend who's a one, and she has eight, no, seven grandchildren under the age of 10 in her city. And she's always being asked to do something for any of them. But she regularly schedules going out of town for fun things. It may not be the highest in the sense of it would be great to say, you know, I can stay at my house um, and still say, no, thank you for the babysitting. But still, she's doing great things for herself to know that she needs that fun. And she needs space from all the shoulds. So, yes, Jennifer, I'll let you talk. Yeah, no, that's so helpful. I have a very close friend who's the one. And um, my observance is, and what we've talked about, is um, that it's so important to her to be the good girl all the time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's very much about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And also, um, yes, she very much, she, she prioritizes having fun and puts it in her calendar to make sure that she has it uh, to, because otherwise she would just work all the time and organize things all the time. And, and oh my God, she's so organized. Like 
Like she will completely organize her house and then go through and declutter. There's no clutter. Why are you decluttering? There's no clutter, you know. And you can be a one and not be good at organizing, but you're still shitting on yourself all the time about the clutter. So, you know, one can be healthy or, or unhealthy, and you can be unhealthy organizing, or you can be healthy, unhealthy, disorganized. It, you know, it just depends on how right. you're doing it, right? Um, but I, I, In terms I, of wants and preferences, what about using the word like, what you like and don't like? That, that's you know that's uh, I'll think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll think about that. See if that works. Um, I can tell you that preferences. I get it. it. Doesn't have any juice for me. Yeah, that's the thing. Wants and needs have so much juice, and we're right. needing to find the juice. Right. I have to see if like if you know there's a hole inside one's a, a real pain about not about not being seen and heard and because they don't do it for themselves and so other people then don't do it for them the way it should be done um and um there's another thing that that has to do with that which is about working um it seems like sometimes one's Feel other people's love through their being willing to work for them, like help them with things. And a lot of times there's an issue with people in their lives who aren't doing their part of the work. Do you resonate with that, Deb? That came up in my marriage. Yes, it usually does. And one's, go ahead. My former marriage. Yes. One's, one's have an amazing attraction to sevens and sevens to ones. It's not, you know, it's just something that happens often, but it's not a rule or anything. It's like the sevens permission to have fun is so attractive to a one. And, and, and the seven needs that one's discipline. So there's a magnetic attraction but then after they're married or connected, that's the thing that they rag on each other about after. So it's not necessarily something that works, but it's something we see very, very often. I don't know if your husband was a seven, but. He was a nine. Nine. Well, that can, that can be the same kind of thing about not working. Not working. My, my friend who is a one, her husband's a nine. Uh-huh. I, I, that's also, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And they get along very well. Yeah, good. Anybody else have questions? Elena? You're, yeah. Yeah, now I'm muted. Hello. Hello. I have a question. I, I just wanted to ask this, uh, if it's a clear difference that you can define between two and four, because I'm, on the test, I got very high score on two, but it was written afterwards that if you are a mom or you're a woman and you get the highest two, then you look at the next highest one. And it was four. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. So can uh, I just say one thing here, uh, which um, I've told Rosalind before, uh, I think uh, I took a, an online test 10 years ago 
and it said I was but 97% two. And I knew I was not a two. I'm like, no, I'm not a two, not a two at all, but I'm a professional two. So I'm a professional giver and caretaker, but that's not my personality. And you have an arrow to two as in eight. And so um, I'm not surprised you, I I never heard of a test that tells you 97%, but that, when eights go to two, they go to two in a big way. And when you're at, and we look at you, look at how you professionally give in a really big way. So in a way it says just as much about your eightness as it does the two-ness, you know, see, it's a really, if you think about that and then um, relate it to whichever Enneagram you are, it's a great, way to see how because we all know Jennifer and if we get any vibration of what eight is it makes sense to see how that arrow it she never becomes a two but she does two-ness in such a big way I just love that example um and I I just wanted to tell Deb that I'm not an expert at Myers-Briggs so I couldn't speak well to that first part Um, of your question. Most people in the Enneagram world, I don't know if you would call it dismiss, but they talk about Myers-Briggs as being just behavior. So where you were referring to that being your true self or something like that, it's the different worlds preferring their, yeah, yeah, I I don't know much about it. So yeah, I didn't want to not uh, mention that. Anybody else have questions? I will get back to that, Elena, two and four. Am I missing any hands in my, no. Yes, Carla? I guess I've been so focused on that I'm a six with the five wing that I don't think I really got the whole understanding of, I really didn't look at, because the triad, the three, six, nine triad, and so sometimes, even though I'm mostly a nine, so Jennifer's like mostly, well, the personality is mostly an eight, but she goes to six easily, right? So, no, or two, I mean, two easily. So, and six, so I go to three and nine sometimes, and, and there's the wings, and I'm, I'm still okay. not real clear. Okay. So you, you, that's a good question. You never become these other, when we go to them, we're just going to the attributes of them. You never become the the wings or or the arrows. You can just use the high side or the low side of those numbers. And it's just valuable, especially if you feel stuck with some part of yourself. So sixes can get stuck in indecision. And the most beautiful thing is to take an action, which would be three, or to do no action and go to the nine's skill at just being. So you can see it would take you out of the rumination, just in that one example, to use your three or your nine wings. If you were obsessing about, should I, shouldn't I? What about this? What about that? And you notice it, either taking an action, which would be your three arrow, or 
going to your nine arrow and saying, I will just be with this. I will stop thinking. I will just go into my body, then go into my spirit. And we, we didn't talk in this group about uh, the, the variants. Um, and I don't know whether we should today, um, but that will flavor, you know, whether you're an intimate, whether you're a group or whether you're a self-pres, but that changes. It's not just another whole thing to study. It changes how you are. If Jennifer was an intimate first, she would be very, very different as our leader. It just is a flavor. It's like putting, is it the same if you put nuts in chocolate ice cream or if you put mint? It changes the flavor very strongly. So I encourage you um, to listen to those or we can talk more about that if we have time today. But it, it's super important. And also in your disagreements with people, uh, oftentimes people disagree, not even with their Enneagram, but with their instinctual variant. So we can, we can see where we are in that. I want to um, go back to Elena. So twos and fours. Um, what to say about that? Fours never lose themselves in helping another person. They can go to that arrow. I can say for myself, when I'm really aware of helping someone, it's usually not a good thing. I can be very helpful. Like I hope that I'm helpful today, but I don't feel like I'm helping anyone. Just as a four, it's usually a manipulation or I'm wanting something if I have that energy of helping. That doesn't mean I'm not helpful, but it's more from spirit. It's more automatic. That, that may not help you because I'm using four-ish language. The thing about a two is that they're trying to get their own needs met through helping someone else. And just like the one, I don't think it's just like the one. We talk about twos repressing their own, I'll use Jennifer's word, likes. Um, see how it feels. Um, in, in deference to helping someone else. But That really, that word distracted me. Yeah. Try to see how it felt. Desires, maybe. Desire? What desires? Desires. Anyway, I'll, I'll play with it later so I don't get distracted. Um, what was I saying about that? Anybody? Their own wants and needs, let's say. Okay. So there, um, yes, twos are not, haven't repressed it, but they're ignoring it almost with the hypnotic idea that if I do a good enough job on your needs, I'm going to be satisfied. It's, it's a delusion. Um, but all of our strategies are delusional because we do them too much. They, they worked, and that's why we have these personality strategies, 
but they're all ways to misidentify. They're all mistaken ideas. So if you're not a two, it sounds crazy. Uh, how could you get your own needs met by taking care of someone else? I mean, it's almost a little hard to understand because what if they don't match? You know, you're still hiding from yourself in a way. I have to get Elena's picture up here somehow. I can't see her. Is, is she gone? If you, uh, yeah. Um, when you're talking, are you in speaker view or in um, gallery view? I got her now. I changed my view. Yeah. So um, fours have more issues of abandonment. So if nothing is going on in my life in the sense of everything is equal, and I really don't feel that the four has a harness that holds me tight anymore. But if I really, really care about something, like when I cared about doing these classes and I didn't hear back from Jennifer, I didn't even notice it. But I thought, not this class, but another class, she was doing some other things and I didn't know when I was to be doing this. I did find myself writing a letter that said, if you still want me to do and I said, what? What would, you know, that's, I mean, I noticed it right away. And I said, oh, it's still there. That's why no matter how evolved you get, you don't get another Enneagram that's still in there. Why in the absence of information would I think she didn't want me to do it anymore? It's that, it's that experience or belief that I'm going to be rejected for who I am. Twos in, got in their families, got valued for being helpful. Of course, as a woman, our culture teaches that women should be nice and helpful. So that's what they mean. You better look at your other numbers because we've all gotten a dose of that. Um, Elena, did, did you, um, do you feel like you have um, a strong, if you were a two, do you have a strong one wing with lots of shoulds? No, I only had feeling, when you said this, that four, they have more issues with abandonment and two with that they were valued for being helpful. I definitely was not valued for being helpful. That's for sure. And I can understand what's, what abandonment is. And I read the book, the description of four, four. And they also said that, that um, so very often the fours in the childhood, they have either abandoned by either one or both parents or somehow, you know, that they alienate from, from, both, from one of the parents or from both parents. And this speaks to me a lot. This like, you know, because I didn't know my father at all, and my mom worked a lot, so. Okay, so Fords are always looking for the lost love, the perfect love. You know, it's embarrassing. That's one of the things that, you know, you'd rather have nobody know, especially if you're in a successful long-term relationship. You don't want people know to know that you're looking for the lost love. But that's, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a sense of, wanting searching for that in your heart yeah this um, speaks to me yeah. and and one question because i noticed that and when i read about this description of four i actually noticed it in me and this being really 
uh, in these feelings, there is something that, um, like, like I notice that feelings sometimes control me. So I'm com completely under control of my feelings. I cannot, you know, I thought everybody were like that, but now I read the enneagram study, I realized that uh, it's kind of fool, foolish thing. Yeah. Uh, is it? Let, let me see if I, I heard you correct. Did you say you are completely in control of your feelings? Did you? You're no, not. I am controlled by the feelings. Yeah, okay, there you go. That makes sense. Yes. Then that that is very boorish. Boors are um, either overwhelmed by their feelings all the time, or very articulate about their feelings and but sometimes the feelings are derived feelings because they have to do with image just shutting my phone off sorry um so uh fours are very can be very flooded with feelings where twos can be dramatic and very prideful about their um, helping. But fours can be very jealous first before they're prideful. Yes, you're shaking your head. So I think yeah, that's, found your yeah. what, what about you, what you wrote on Facebook? Tell me some more about having fun. So, yeah, I, yeah, I seem to reject it, you know, like okay, not allow it. So here's I, what I, might be helpful to you, to you about that. Remember when I was talking about one? Yes, yeah. Four has an arrow to one. Mm -hmm. And really, some of us in, in Masterful Living 2 that are fours, like Kevin had a, um, a lot of experience uh, working with his Enneagram. And I have found that I had to really work with my one arrow, my shoulds, my self-hate, my... my um, ideas of right and wrong more than I had to work with my foreness or at least first I had to work with it first because it was so strong it was overwhelming the tone of my feelings it became the biggest issue of shoulds and and but the way that a four will do one is they could do it just like a one in the sense of doing everything right, or they could be very individualistic and decide which things that they will do and which things they won't do. That's me. That's you. Well, I think you no. found your home Enneagram right there. I don't Thank know if you, you feel that way, but I feel very. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's Good. me. Yes, Jennifer. Linda's actually raising her hand. I'm going to unmute you, Linda. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say <laughs> a couple of things. Um, first of all, when we were first introduced to the Enneagrams, I had such resistance to it because I felt it was just one more way that I was going to judge myself. And um, now that I've um, listened to so much that uh, Rosalind has been sharing, and I'm so grateful for it, I can see that, yes, I'm definitely a two. And I can see that um, I did get uh, praise for being helpful as a child. And I can see that there are times when um, uh, in dealing with taking care of my mom, where I do put stock in if I do well helping her, 
that it will be of benefit to me and I will get gratification in that, in that I, she will be more independent and I will have more time to do whatever I want to do. So I just, I want to thank you for that because it's, it's becoming more and more clear now that I have that um, more clear picture of yes, two is my, what my Enneagram is. So I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. And um, also because you are more healthy in your tunis now, you can use your eight wing, not eight wing, your eight arrow and use it for leadership rather than necessarily helping. And it, it has broadened your skills. Yes. Yes. I'm grateful for that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, related to that, Linda, my dad is a two, and I have several friends who are two, so I know very intimately the two, and um, <clears throat> I, uh, one of the things that really helped me with the Enneagram about the two, and about my father in particular, but also my friends, is that, and I read this, I think, in some of Helen Palmer's work is that the twos become their identity can become uh, completely wrapped around their relationship as a caregiver for a person or just to such a degree that they they don't know who they are they're like lost in space without that uh, role in someone else's life and um, it didn't really make sense to me, but uh, on a certain level, because I couldn't relate to it. I, I just couldn't relate to it because uh, my identity does not come from being the leader, the boss, or the teacher. It, it really, it doesn't. It, not that I notice it. If I, and I've thought about it many times, if I lost if, if I, my guidance was to quit all the teaching and go do something else and maybe go into retreat and study and write, I wouldn't feel like, oh, I don't know who I am anymore. I, I wouldn't feel that at all. Um, so I was having trouble relating to that. But when, after my mom died, and uh, my, we always said, my mother and I always said that if she died, or when she was sick and knew she was dying, we always said when that we, we always thought, you know, six months, my dad will be married again, you know, six months. And, um, and not a problem with that because we just know him. He, he would go crazy without someone to be of service to. And mm -hmm. uh, literally he would go start raving mad. And um, so he did in a couple of months, he got into a relationship with someone and they were together for like a year and a half. And he was really crazy about her. And she broke up with him and wouldn't tell him why. And for like six months or so, there was this question, would they get back together? Were they really over? What was really happening? And once she made it clear she was not coming back, he, he literally, he just started to say, like, I would say, hey, do you want to talk about maybe going on a trip? No, I can't. I can't think about any of those things. I have to find a woman. I have to find a woman. He literally used those words. I have to find a woman. And I, I was like, well, and he was like, no, I have to find a woman. 
And in the time after he broke up with her and before he found a woman, he, um, he started to call me and talk with me hours per week. Whereas like his normal routine was, you know, 20 minutes every couple of weeks. Now he needed hours of conversation from me to talk about his feelings and to feel connected and to feel helpful. And so, um, I, uh, I'm just putting that out there in terms of the, the nature of the two is, is um, that whole identification with the one who's helping these specific people or in these specific ways. Uh, it's really um, something to, to know, to look at. Yeah, and I can see that, how I've had the, I felt like, my life is so wrapped up in both my mother and my husband. Um, but I feel like I'm, I've cut some cords and I've um, done a lot of work so that I don't feel that, um, you know, when there comes a time when I am not their caretaker, that I'm not going to go, oh my gosh, now who am I? Right. And at the same time, in the work that I do, um, being aware of that in the two, not allowing myself to um, want to try and be anybody's savior when I'm helping someone. That's great, Linda. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to add something to what Jennifer said there that was um, very important. Very often, we are identified with, let's say, doing, if we're a three. But sometimes, it's not even an identification, it's just a gift. So, in Jennifer's case, I would say, you know, I would completely believe that she's not identified with being the leader of such a large world organization and could drop it, but she has a gift for it. And, and um, I have a gift for feelings. And, you know, sixes have a gift for loyalty and thinking things through. And nines have a gift for being. And twos have a gift for compassion. And ones have a gift for doing the right thing. And... Fives have a gift for being the observer. And what did I leave anything out? Sevens have the gift for being fun. So did I leave anything out? I don't know. I didn't go around the circle. But um, you, you see what I mean. Um, some of it's just our nature. And, um, you know, I, I love that Albert Schweitzer quote where, where your gifts meet the needs of the world. That's what God would have you do. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that we just have to do things that are with our Enneagram, but it just helps. I mean, it helps that Linda has a lot of compassion and she's a spiritual counselor. You know, it just helps. It, you're not going against your Enneagram if you do things that you're, you have that are in your nature. Yeah, I'm interested in going with the flow, so that's perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, Rosalind, uh, stop me if I mentioned this in the classes that we've done together on this 
Enneagram topic about um, my astrology. Did I ever talk with you about that? Yeah, I won't go into it in depth, but the first time I did, uh, I had, a, I had a, a client who said, who said, I'd like to give you a gift with my friend who's uh, an astrologer. She's written 26 books on astrology. And um, so I had never had my chart done. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew I was Sagittarian. That's all I knew. And so she went, she did my chart and she, I went in for the consultation and two things she said to me, three things she said to me, I thought were very interesting because she didn't know me at all. She didn't know anything about me. This was a long time ago, but three things she said, she said, I'm going to tell you some things that you're probably going to think that's crazy. That has nothing to do with me. I don't, yeah, the lady's nuts. She said, but when I had my astrology done, somebody, I was told that I was going to be a writer and, and, and write books and 26 books later, I think it's true. But when it was told to me, initially I just thought, nah, I'm not writing any books. So she said, just take, just take it in. Don't reject it. Just, just let it roll right through you and, you know, do with it what you will, but just don't reject it. She said, three things you need to know about yourself. You might want to look at finding a church to participate in. I know it sounds crazy, you know, but God, just think about God a little bit because um, God's the number one thing in your chart. Like, seriously, it is all about God. So just explore. Think about God a little bit. And I'm like, this I already knew about myself, you know, by then. And she said, and the second thing is um, – you're a leader and you could marry some accountant and move to, you know, population 200 Arkansas and you would become the leader of the PTA for the whole state. She, she said, you cannot avoid being a leader. There's no way. So just know you're always going to be the leader. And she said, the third thing she said was, and you are a writer. You are a writer and you're going to write a lot. So wow. don't reject any of those things. Just take them in. Mm. But I, by then I had already known all that stuff about myself. But you see how, not the writer part, but the other parts, well, not the God part either, but the, the leadership part is just, it's the eight. So there, I found that that was interesting when I came to the Enneagrams, the the coincidences with my astrology. Yeah, wow. Quite something. Yeah. Carly, you had your hands up? Carly, you muted. Yeah, yeah. So Sheila, Sheila's on the phone, and she said you had to say the eight gifts. Oh, okay. The eight gifts are in leadership. Too many to mention. This is a long, long way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and owning their power. That's a, that's a great gift of the eight. Thank you. And thank you, Sheila. So I don't know if we want to unmute her. Can you unmute her? Maybe she has any other questions. She's interested in this. Okay. Which number is she? I, she must be the 817 because the other one doesn't mute it. I don't see an 817. 917. Oh, that's more than likely that's Anna Marie. 
then, huh, I don't see her. Well, I think 225 is, is um, Sheila. Sheila. Yep, and it's already unmuted. Okay. So do we have any other questions? Lawrence, do you have any questions? No? Okay. Okay, well, um, what would you like to talk about? Uh, I can go over um, the I am statements if you, um, unless you'd already seen them. You want to show the circle? Um, you know, we did, we, we, we can, but I wanted to have that if we, um, do, yes, somebody did ask about wings and arrows, right? So um, maybe we should show the circle. Go ahead, Jennifer, thanks. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. When you talk about the gift of the one is doing the right thing, mm -hmm. I, I sort of get that, but then I also go into what is the right thing because right, wrong, judgment, you know, that's where I go. So how do I discern? Uh -huh. So what, when I say the gift, um, it means when, when ones are at their highest and they're not hurting themselves by doing the right thing. So, you know, yes, we can, we're all about uh, the unfolding of our true self and so on, but in a society, you need people who are willing to do the right thing. And, and it, you know, it really just helps to have a number of people who do that easily, but it's more complex than that. So, so what, what you're asking is a very deep question and that's, um, maybe asking, so what I hear you saying is, what's the right thing versus the shoulds that get me in trouble? That's what I hear you right. I am aware of when I, I'm now aware when I say should, I think, oh, crap, there it is again, I gotta look at that, you know, mm -hmm. so I have that awareness. Okay. So one of the questions that I ask myself, because as when using my one arrow, I used to often when I was not healthy, not do the right thing, but then I would feel guilty. So little things like I didn't feel like bringing my shopping cart back to the, to the um, parking lot. I don't know. It's an entitlement that I, when I was unhealthy that I used now i love to bring my shopping cart back because i'm contributing to the order because i'm doing the right thing and because it's going to make me feel good rather than like crap when i slink away after having left it in the parking lot i don't know if that's a good example um if it's helpful but a lot of times when ones do the should if you check inside to your feeling, it doesn't feel good. You're just doing it to, because you have to. Mm -hmm. So my friend who's babysitting all the time, sometimes she wants to, but a lot of times she's just saying yes because she should as the good grandmother or it's the right thing to do. But it's, it's different. Yeah, it's a feeling tone. I think so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm defining that through four-ish eyes because I'm a four and fours, you know, talk about things through feelings. So it would be interesting to hear about that 
the way Helen Palmer does it with panels. And I don't even know if she's still alive. Do you know, Jennifer? Because she was older. She I think she is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is she still working? Do you know? I, I think so. Okay. So when I was learning the Enneagram, which is in 1995, I studied with all the famous writers then uh, and more deeply with others. But um, Helen Palmer um, likes to teach with panels. So she'd have all ones up on the, um, on the stage. And then ones would tell you what it's like to be ones. And these were healthy ones, ones who had worked on their Enneagram. And that would, Deb, would be a wonderful question to ask the ones. How do they discern the difference between a should and what's going to be the right thing to do because it's going to make me feel good or because it's just the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. uh, so I would be interested in more answers to that. So, um, Jennifer, if you would uh, screen share and put the circle up, um, I will, em you got that? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I would like to share something just kind of, it, it struck me as interesting. Uh, when you were talking about the shopping cart, mm -hmm. I don't return the shopping cart because it keeps, gives a person a job. Yeah. Because now the grocery store, they have to give somebody that job to make sure all those shopping carts are returned. And so you feel good about it, right? I do. I feel like I'm giving a person a job. It's like I would rather go to a gas station where they pump the gas for you, in part because for pennies, I can give a man a job. So you see, this is not about rules or behaviors. This is about motivation. Exactly. Healthy for Jennifer to do is not healthy for me to do because of my judgment on it and how unhappy I feel. I feel like a crook, like a, like a creep when I used to do that. So, you know, it's not about behaviors. It's about motivation. Yeah. 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 So I feel good about not returning the shopping cart for my reasons. You feel good about returning the shopping cart for your reasons. So we're both motivated by what makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so that's what I love because it's not legalistic about the, the Enneagram. It's, it's about motivation and about what makes us the least constricted by personality so that we can go to spirit and so that we can live um, our truth from spiritual principles. Then we have the freedom to not be bogged down. And Enneagrams, when we're, when we're not aware of them, can be like a hypnosis. Many of the teachers talk about it like that, like a trance. So that's why awareness can make all the difference. Carla? I don't know if this is maybe too specific for six, but you, because each one, each, I know for me, the, the, I don't know what you called it, but it's fear. Mm -hmm. Is that like, and so it does say in the book that, I mean, I know this is so important because for the last three years, this has been on AIG basically is to get in. So it says they do not have comp. No, that's not, it says they have, they have, most trouble contacting their own inner guidance and so so is that the fear thing that's preventing that that is that so look at 
the the major I guess it's a block of the personality type or something. Well, Carla, that's a great question because yes, we have other is. sixes on the on the call, and other sixes um, probably that will listen later. And it's I think it's a combination of the fear because that makes you doubt. But it's also a complex, I think, interaction between authority and um, so, you know, trusting and distrusting because sixes want so much to trust, but their strategy was based on distrust. So think about it. A little child in a family where things are a bit scary, at least to that person to that sensitivity to that child. And they start to figure out that if I prepare myself with fear, if I figure out each thing that could go wrong, I'm gonna be safe, I'm gonna be ready. So now you have an identification or um, a confidence in fear, a confidence in scaring yourself because it worked. Oh, so when they did this thing, I was ready. So. <laughs> So, so how, so, so by then becoming conscious that this was a strategy that worked as a child, it may have worked as a young person, it got me very far in life, but now it would behoove me to release that so that when I see myself doubting or distrusting an authority or another person, I can say, oh, that's just sixness. And I can start fresh and say, okay, let me try this. Let me try another way. Let me, let me either just be with this in that nine-ish way or let me try trust because that isn't true with a capital T. It was just my strategy. Jennifer, you might want to say something. You look like you wanted to. Did you? Uh, well, just uh, my best friend is a six personality, and um, I I see that play out all the time. That because uh, we, you know, here I'm, I'm I live by faith, and so uh, I, I, we constantly have conversations about what my way is to trust and faith, and hers is is not. Hers is to try and anchor herself with. What, what does she feel? What's going on? Are there projections happening? You know, she does a whole, she's a therapist, so she does a whole analysis of what's going on. She's very highly trained. And she also uh, is really, is a really good caretaker for herself. So um, that being extremely observant, she's trained herself to be extremely observant of what actually is motivating her. And that has made her a very, um, She's been able to do so much and, and, um, and live a very full life because of that. And so she, uh, but it's a, a trust issues are every day. Mm -hmm. And so maybe keeping the goal, Carla, out there is like, you know, I want to either trust or I want security in, in being close to this person. And this distrust, this strategy is not going to get me there like getting really clear of doing it and where it's gotten you and saying, I want something else. It really isn't that different from deciding, you know, um, I, I don't want to smoke anymore. Like a person who, 
I think Lisa Natoli has recently talked again about the smoking thing and, and, and deciding, you know, it's disgusting. I really don't want to smoke. Um, if, if you say the distrust got me not disgusting because you want to respect it and have compassion, but does it get you what you want? I think I want to work with the realness statements around all these things. That's, that's so, a so, great idea. So what I'm, what I'm wondering is, one more thing, is that when you start the ones, don't notice the shoes. I think it's just, so I'm not noticing the fear. Is that what, I'm so used to going there. I'm not even, I'm noticing it more, but I just go there so much. And I go, oh, wow. So that's the same, right? It's the same, and you know, we talk about counterphobic sixes, though mm -hmm. it could be you're just so used to it, but also not, instead of not trusting people and yourself, you can maybe not trust the fear, kind of put, turn it on itself and say, I know I feel this distance um, from people because they're not doing their part or, um, I don't know why they're not helping me or whatever the idea is um, and say, well, maybe they, maybe they do want to help. Maybe I, maybe I want to give them a chance. Maybe just turn the idea on its side a little bit with a maybe just poke a hole in it. I think it's really hard to go to an affirmation or the opposite, but just a maybe like maybe because sixes are questioners so putting a hole in the in the fear put it putting some questioning in maybe this isn't true maybe this is an old strategy just the maybe might help that's a that's a great suggestion and also rosalind would you would you share about counterphobic because people who've not heard that before okay. won't know what that means okay so in some books, um, instead of calling a six a questioner or a doubter, they have the word phobic six. And it's not the clinical psychological definition of phobias, like, you know, agoraphobia or, you know, whatever. It, it's just the fearful type. And along with that, they have counterphobic six because it looks opposite my favorite teacher is Tom Condon, and nobody would ever believe he's a fearful type. He's a counterphobic six because he goes where angels fear to tread. There are no Enneagram teachers that work with a group of 200, 300 people and work with a, a person they've never met before and have the unfolding that he can do with them in front of an audience. I mean, he's but you'd say he's a fearful type. Well, counterphobic six means that when you fear, you go straight for it. And so you don't even feel the fear, but it is still based on fear. And you, and maybe you might go, you might just be always a counterphobic six, but more often you go back and forth between being a regular six where you question things and being, let's say, fearful of a mountain climb and being the first one up the mountain because you just know how to turn that on its side. And then I, I don't know if that originated from the arrow to three, 
I've often wondered whether because you have access to doing as a six and maybe in the strategy of that child, they learn to just go for it and then they wouldn't have to feel the fear. So that's what counterphobic, but it's still part of sixness. And speaking of Tom Condon, if we want to put the screen share up there a minute, um, this is just my homemade um, circle, but you'll see this circle in every book. Uh, whether they use a different word or not doesn't matter. The numbers all mean the same. But I don't put the arrow in. I put the lines in because I have found what Tom Condon teaches that's a little different from the others. They say, the other books say, in health, you go toward this, and in disintegration, um, you go another way. He's very strong on both ways you can use, and I think that's more helpful. So I don't teach with the disintegration and integration. It's just, um, to me, more useful. And the wings are on, the ones that are on either side. So for an eight, the wings would be nine and seven. For a six, the wings are seven and five. Many of the books will say, like Carla did, I'm a six with a five wing. Well, um, that makes sense. But you, if you just think of yourself as a six, and what she's saying is her five wing is stronger. She resonates with it more. But something I've said to Jennifer, which she appreciated, she's left the, the, the screen right now. But the one that you haven't used the most probably has the most to teach you and help you now because it's, it's the one you've used less. So seven sevenness probably has a lot to help Carla um, and um, Jennifer had said she's an eight and she resonated with sevenness but I've had the chance to tell her there she is that nineness can be of some use um, even though she's used the seven wing more and so for if you're a one your wings are two and nine and they're very different if you if you're a one and you've more used your nine wing, you might be even less um, aware of your feelings and more concerned with how it lands on other people. Um, I want to say something about, so let me finish that thought. So it, it changes the flavor, whichever wing you've used more. But keep in mind the wing you haven't used um, because as much, because that can be very, very helpful. Yes. Does that mean, well, from listening to it in level two, I heard you say something to that effect, and I thought, I think I used to be more of a helper, and now I really want to move toward the nine. Is that because of the healing that I've done, or can you speak to that a little bit? Because Yes, I'd love to. It's because of the healing that you've done, and, and a lot of the healing ideas and the healing strategies and the healing practices lead you to nineness, because nines are the best at being. And almost every spiritual 
um, discipline has you stop and be quiet first. And then, you know, um, all will be unfolded after that. Um, but it's also because you've used a lot of the two ways. And now this is fresh and new. And, and, and you have an affinity for it. It's so important. You have an affinity for your wings. So you, it's easier for you to, to use that than it would be to use sevenness. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry, because that's an arrow. To use eightness. For, for you to say, let me study eightness and see what I, what I can learn from that. You know, it's good to know them all, you know, because it helps you with people. But you're going to get more for yourself if you use either your arrow or your wing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, are there questions about wings and arrows? I can't see everybody. So let's see. Nobody's hands up. Let's see. Um, okay. Any other questions on anything? So I have this. Can you speak toward the colors? Like it went from one to four. It was brown, and then from four. Oh, to I'm so glad you brought that up. So. Um, what I haven't talked about is the one arrow to fourness. I don't think I've mentioned that, did I? Not really, although I can relate to the feeling part of it. Yeah. Well, the ones that I've ever known, either in friendship or in counseling situations, cringe at fourness. They, it's too self, it feels, the shoulds are that they're too self-serving, they're too um, entitled, they're too indulgent is the better word. It, it feels unseemly to many ones, maybe not, um, maybe not the healthier ones, but when they're into their should thing, fours feel very icky often. But, that is exactly the antidote to the child who didn't indulge themselves. So it's very, very useful to allow, allow a little more indulgence, allow whatever you cringe from, whatever you, uh, Jennifer has a word, what's the word that you, when you don't like something? Aversion. Aversion. Whenever you have an aversion, there's some reaction there and it's, it, it can be very, very useful. So um, also ones have a concern that they might be too flooded with feelings. You don't want too many of those feelings because it might be too much. Um, but I encourage you to do a little of that exploring. And if you have a reaction to a four, you know, to look at that reaction and see, is this something that I might really want for myself? Maybe not to that degree, but maybe I'm disliking it because I haven't allowed myself to have any of that. Does that make sense, yeah, Deb? That, 
that I relate to. Yeah, mm -hmm. to indulge myself is doesn't take much, and I for me to feel that. Yeah, I I had um, a walk with a new friend, and she was telling me she's a one, and she was telling me how it's going to be different in her marriage because now she's going to look out for what's best for her, and not knowing her very well, I said, well. Um, take the best piece of cake for yourself the next time you're offered some and see how you feel about it. <laughs> and everybody usually laughs and she laughed because she's never done that. She wouldn't do that. That would be, you know, but a four might do that, or at least they'd want to, they, they know they want that piece. So um, that's metaphorical. It doesn't have to be cake, but um you know, just doing it and noticing your feelings and bringing awareness into it. You're already leaving the harness of your Enneagram because you're bringing God into it with awareness. You bring Holy Spirit into it. And then, you know, that leads to everything that you want. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? I'm curious if people have looked at um, what they think their significant others are and uh, is, are they using that to help their relationship? a significant other but I do have a, an issue I I was curious about my mother how do we figure that out because I'm not really clear on her how, how can we how can we help ourselves understand where they come from if we don't not really directly having them take a test or something yeah you know Carla that's a good point it's we have a lot of blind spots about your our parents and so um, I think it's best to work with a hypothesis. You know, now Jennifer's parents were very clear, but um, I've noticed with the blind spots that I was very knowledgeable about the Enneagram. And um, my husband was not interested in the Enneagram, but being married to me, he's become very knowledgeable. And um, I actually, you know, you have blinders. My, I thought my sister was an eight um, because she acts in eightish ways. She's from New York and cities have an Enneagram, which it, it, New York City is an eight Enneagram. And so that affected her, uh, her behavior. But he went away with her and he said, you know what? I think she's a six. And you know, her behavior is still the same, but the motivation is from fear. So she sometimes acts in very controlling ways, but she's not an eight. She's just scared. And she scares her. She watches medical programs that are full of fear. Each day she has a new thing that she's going to be careful about, you know, and she's scaring herself so she won't get these illnesses. But, um, you know, I think he was right. And I have a friend who thought her sister was a seven and she has 
the biggest energy ever. She's completely an eight, and it took her a while to get that right. So you are seeing something when you have a hypothesis, but not all of our parents are as clear as Jennifer's were, or are, her father's still alive, and her mother's still alive too. Um, but, you know, it's, you just can't be sure, and it's hard when there are blinders, um, but you can think is is you could think between a two couple of numbers and ask Holy Spirit to show it to you or sh see how you feel about them. Another good clue is um, my daughter's a nine, one of them, and she's very very irritated by ones because she has a lot of one in herself and it, it's a wing. So. See, see your reactions. That's very, very useful to see your reactions to other types. And then that's another clue. Or like Jennifer says, look at the unhealthy uh, charts of your parents. And that should help give you a better clue for a at least a hypothesis. Carla, does that resonate? Uh, yeah. I I'm not sure still what to do because yeah. I'm not sure still. But yeah, and and that would be, you know, you remember when you say you're not sure, or when you say I don't know, mm -hmm. that's you know you're going to your default position. <laughs> so it's it's no, it's not to embarrass you. It's just to notice it and and practicing. I know that. I was asking a friend who's a six, I said, would it be useful to, to take out, to suggest taking out the qualifiers, you know, I think this, and say just this, because we know that's what you think if you say it, and you could be wrong and that's okay. And um, she kind of hemmed and hawed because she said, I think, or I'm not sure, gives us an out. And that's what sixes are looking for, is to, you know, or, or anybody in the five, six, and seven, they're looking for the security in that they could be wrong, and then they have an out, or they could be right, but they're not, they're not being um, uh, too assertive in that, too powerful in that, that's dangerous. Yeah, it's interesting. As an eight, I, I, I know when I was younger that I used to get flack for saying, I, I, I didn't say, I think this, you know, I, I think espresso coffee is the best coffee. <laughs> espresso coffee is far superior to other kinds of coffee. <laughs> and, and people would give me flack that they'd say, you're so aggressive about, you know everything and you're right about everything. And I would just think, I don't see the problem in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but anyway, you can play with it. I don't know if it's, I think it depends where people are. Sometimes not being on the mental triad, it makes me crazy when my husband says, I think that, because I don't know if I should check on it or he's actually done it or, you know, like, could you tell me, did you think it or did you do it? <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, and I feel the same way now. A lot of times when people say, I think this or I think that, I'm like, exactly as you said 
uh, well, that's so. Where we where do we go from here? I, I'm not sure what you're actually saying. Yeah. You think that thought? Okay, what else? <laughs> but but understanding it's a safety device for five, six, and seven to put the qualifier in there. So you see, you know, if you're in a place where you want to take it out and experiment with what does it feel like to to be not a doubter and just say it, especially in safe circumstances, especially where people, where you know people love you and, you know, masterful living community, um, nobody's going to get on you for being dogmatic. You know, one of the ways my friend does it, who's a six, is uh, many, many, I can't count the number of times she has said to me in a conversation, well, I'm not like my friend Jennifer, so I can just say, I don't like that. Uh, because, or, you know, my opinion is. So she has to give this qualifier to it all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. Other questions from anyone? Hey, it's Sheila. I have a question. Yes. And thank you, Rosalind, for doing this. This has been so helpful. Um, I have been trying to research what would be some good reference materials to learn on how to work with the different um, environments with the different personality types, so specifically if you're working with types that are the same type you are versus other types. Do you have a good resource for that that I might could look up? You know, I think, okay, there, there are two that I've mentioned to Jennifer before. Uh, are you talking about like helping you professionally or just personally with people in your life? Uh, in the work environment, like I'm working with another eight, what's the best way for us not to tip the boat, you know, to be in yeah. harmony when we... Well, I think that um, Tom Condon's, you know, now I date myself because they were tapes. So I'm sure he has another version of them now. But his um, work with um, the different Enneagrams is very understandable. And you can see it on his website. I'll put it again on Facebook. Um, you can look up Tom Condon, but it's C-O-N-D-O-N. Uh, but he has a name which escapes me right now for his company. He's very, very understandable. If anybody actually is really interested, especially the counselors, Riso and Hudson um, in the Enneagram Institute have a very, very in-depth um, training. And I, it's a, uh, Don Riso is no longer with us in this world, but I noticed that on their website, they're um, still having the same curriculum. So it's very in-depth. It's not someone who wants to just casually learn more. Tom Condon is your person for that. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, oh, um, the Enneagram Institute, not Institute, the Enneagram Conference, International Conference, I'll put that on the website too. It's a very fun thing to do. It's not just for professionals. There are all kinds of workshops that are, people are doing fun things. They're the old teachers, I mean old meaning the standard teachers, the, the, the leaders in the field. Uh, Helen Palmer used to be there. Tom Condon, um, Russ Hudson, and others, um, but also the new people who are doing things. And um, 
I tell the story of uh, some people who are doing some experimental work, and that's once a year, and I'll put it on the website, some experimental work. And I've mentioned this before, but I can't remember where, if it was to you privately, Jennifer, or if it was in a talk. So I'll say it again. Women eights have some trouble identifying in this world um, if they're not like Jennifer and have always been aware of their power, but um, maybe have been taught more things about being nice and being courteous and being deferential. So these people were working physically on the Enneagrams. And when, when they had people who couldn't identify themselves, he asked our permission, and then they would push us, like uh, hard enough not to hurt you, but scary. And eights would be ready to fight. And other Enneagrams would be, ah, or, you know, have their own responses. And so eights were able to identify physically with that prompt. Well, that's something we haven't seen in any of the books. So the workshops in, the, in this once a year international conference are very fun. And if you think you wanna study it more, that's a good way to see who, which teachers you think you resonate with. Because there are probably new teachers that are great that I wouldn't know because I studied it a long time ago. So I encourage you, I'll put a note to, to put those things on the Facebook. Carla? That's an MLC2 website, right? Oh, that's how you... Yeah, I can only put it onto... Um, let's just, let, just letting people know that's where to look. Uh, or I can give it to somebody else who you can put it, you can share it. Yeah, everybody here is in the year two group, so that's fine. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I remembered what I was thinking of at the beginning of the class and we're way over time. So we're going to wrap it up here. It's been wonderful. And uh, Rosalind, I so, so appreciate you, your wisdom, your heart, your understanding, your willingness. So thank you so much for helping us to understand our personality so we can disidentify with them. And um, the thing that I was interested in asking people, I, I was wondering who here um, has not done a um, Vipassana day? Who has not done a Vipassana day? I can't see some of the people here. Uh, Sheila, have you done one? Yes, ma'am, but I am considering doing another. Liz, have you done one? Elena? No? Elena? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I also would encourage you to, I would strongly encourage you to consider doing a Vipassana, a 10-day Vipassana. If you have the freedom to do it, really go for it absolutely go for it you know if you can leave your family and your things it's um it's wonderful and uh uh when i did it because of uh, i did it in 2009 and at that time the easiest time for me was christmas time uh, <clears throat> work-wise now that wouldn't be the truth but 
I, I strongly encourage. It's, it's a great way to really give yourself forced contemplation time. I think that's one of the things that uh, really helps spiritual students is to have a, a considerable amount of contemplative time. Just being contemplative. Uh, because because of the doingness, uh, you know, spiritual studies that are all about doing and very little about being, uh, there's a lot that gets missed. A lot that gets missed. Yeah, so let us turn within here. I am so grateful and so thankful for the love of God revealing itself as our truth. I am so grateful to once again partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to take everything that we have learned and to turn it over to the higher Holy Spirit self for its best use for our liberation. We are grateful and thankful to discover our true identity and to live in that. We are grateful and thankful to move forward with more peace, more love, and more joy. We're consciously sharing the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. So grateful and so thankful to let it be. We know it's done, and so it is. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for your interest, everybody. Much love to you all. Thank you again, Rosalind. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, bye. Thank you, Rosalind. Thank you, Rosalind. That was awesome. It's so great to work with all of you. Thank you. Thank you.